Uh, so as Mike alluded to, the Bible reading today is uh, from John 10, uh, the Good Shepherd. So in the blue church Bibles, it's on page uh, 1075. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, steal and kill and destroy. I have come the they have may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and it scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Now, let's get into this passage. I'm going to pray. Uh, if you want to uh, jot notes there, there's a, there's a page there for you. Um, uh, there's no outline for this series. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we can come together and consider your word and consider how you have a plan for this world and how when this world seems so broken, we can see how it will be fixed. Help us now as we consider leadership, as we consider the real leader, help us now to sit under his leadership, to be challenged by it and ultimately to live for him. Amen. Well, what we're doing this uh, January is we're just doing this kind of topical little, little series on how would you fix the world? How would you, with the brokenness of this world, try and sort it out? And we've got four topics. Four topics that we're going to look at that often people will say is the way that you need, these are the problems that really need fixing. People are the problem which we looked at last week and that was um, lots of fun and really challenging and confronting for us because it ended up being not people out there but all of us, including, <laughs> including us. Um, today... We're going to look at fixing the authorities. We're going to look at how is it we fix the world by fixing the people that are running it. That's what you do. If they run it better, the world will get better. And I don't know about you, but 
it seems to me that Australians are pretty cynical about all types of leadership. I reckon that's probably a pretty fair assumption. Um, it's probably built into our DNA from the way that we uh, came about. We were a bunch of rebels and, and convicts and over t- it just kind of gets built in over time that we have always got this sense of butting up against authority. But on another level, it seems like today we're even more and more cynical, particularly about, you know, you know, what you don't want to talk about politicians. We, we've had so many leaders in the last, it feels like last week, they just come and go so quickly that we're kind of cynical. We're so cynical about leadership that there was an, there's research done on how cynical we are. Uh, and I saw it in the um, ABC website. I think there's a picture of the article uh, there. The party's over. Oh, sorry, back to the previous one. In a nation of cynics, we're flocking to the fringe. We are so cynical. We're so disillusioned by people who lead us in all sorts of different ways. We're just over it. And the research showed on the next page on the graph, we see that 41% of Australians are satisfied with the way democracy is working. Wow. It's gone down quite a bit um, from um, around 2000. Um, we kind of peaked at, I know, 2008 is that? And now we're down at our lowest from this research. The great thing about this article was, though, that the research they did, you could then participate it and fill out, fill out all the questions they asked to get these results to find out where you are and how cynical you are, whether you're not cynical or whether you're really, really cynical compared to your age group. And I don't know if I'm happy to say, but my results turned out to be I was super cynical and I was really down on leadership. And that's where, where it took us. Where it took me. I don't know what to make of that, but to say... We have a problem with leadership, it seems to be. What makes a good leader? And we're not just talking about politicians. We're talking about, just generally, what makes a good leader? You are a leader in many ways, probably. You're also probably led. At one point, you were a kid, being led by your parents. At some point... You've probably got people that you lead in some way. You might have high up leadership. You might have just a couple of people that you've got to help sort out things. You may lead a sporting club. You may lead um, a musical troupe. You, all sorts of things you could be leading in. Leadership is a big deal. So the question is, what makes a good leader? How are you going to be a good leader? That's the question, and I wonder if you could tell me, not the answer to that question, but I wonder if you could just throw out to me one word, phrase, answers to the opposite of that. What makes bad leaders? Because that's probably easier. Yell out to me, what makes bad leaders? Pardon? Lack of vision. What else makes bad leaders? Hypocritical, Hypocritical and arrogance. They kind of go beautifully together. Well done. <laughs> Sorry? Selfishness. We're kind of describing the challenges that we have in our own heart as well, aren't we? You see the, see the problem that we have with leadership. Maybe bad leaders are ones that are power hungry, ignorant, ineffective, hypocritical, arrogant. So how do we figure out what makes a good leader? Well... The Bible is very clear on it and it gives us a very clear imagery on what makes a good leader and it's the picture that we have up on the screen right now. It's to be a shepherd. How is being a shepherd a good leader? Like, 
if I was to ask, because it's kind of out there, right? We have a problem, not a problem with the Bible, but we have this thing that we've got to understand is that the Bible is not just absolute uh, truths out of history. The truths revealed to us uh, by God in history, in a context. And so when we talk about shepherds, it's not something we naturally get. We don't know how shepherds work. Now, if I was to ask the question, I know at least one person put up their hand, maybe only one, has anyone looked after sheep here? Well, look at that. So you guys have got some kind of understanding of looking after sheep. Who would say that you were looking after sheep on a farm and really cared for them over a long period of time? Still. See, even then, I suspect with your abilities, you didn't tend to sheep like shepherds did then. I believe that the way that we look after sheep is by using cattle dogs, by um, all sorts of other means in which we bring them along. You use cattle dogs to guide them and move them around. Cattle, yeah, sheep dogs would be a better way. Though. That's pretty good, isn't it? Yep. For those of you who weren't doing a good job, that's why. Uh, but you can get so good at it. Um, Colin was telling me, what were you saying about the colours, Colin, on, on the on the sheep? What can you do? We. Yeah. And that required a leader doing it in a really... You need to be a good leader to make that happen. That's pretty amazing. I'd love to see that. That's, that's pretty impressive. Uh, shepherds back then were a little bit more hands-on. And as we see this passage, what we're going to see is we're going to see that the idea of being a shepherd and a leader is at the heart of what makes good leadership. So the way we're going to tackle this idea today is we're going to have three points about what a good leader is and we're going to relate that to how you fix the world. And each way we do it, as you see on the next screen there, at each point we're going to see a bad example, we're going to see Jesus and we're going to see how sometimes we do get a glimpse of it in the world. So hopefully you want to come along with me and see this because actually what you're going to get is you're going to see a few things. You're going to see the reality of where people have let you down as a leader and where people have done well for you and you're going to see times when actually maybe you've been okay as a leader and all your failings as a leader and then we see Jesus and it gets very clear for us. So the first point is we see that a good leader knows those who follow them. You know deeply those who follow them. Let's have a look at, um, uh, at John chapter 10 verses 1 to 5 and we'll see bad examples and we'll see Jesus. Let me go from verse 3. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all, all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. 
You see, a bad leader is one who has no regard for those who are supposed to follow them. No regard at all. Were you ever at school and you felt like your teacher, I know all the teachers here, this isn't you, but where you felt like your teacher just didn't care and they were going through the motions? Has anyone ever felt like that? I felt like that quite a few times. I didn't think it was ever my problem. They just didn't care for me when I was in trouble. Is that how you ever felt? Have you ever felt like you had a boss and they just didn't know what you were going through and the issues that you had in the workplace and they just more, more, more like, I don't want to hear your problems, I just want to see solutions? That, that sometimes we kind of feel like they don't know, they don't, they don't care about us, people in charge. It's how we feel about our politicians and why we're so cynical. They just want to be re-elected. They don't really care about our problems is what lot we hear a lot. But look at Jesus. We see here, it says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listens to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He calls his own sheep by name. What's going on here? Well, actually, if we have the context of how um, shepherding worked back then, is this gatekeeper or watchman, what would often happen is you'd have, you, you'd have uh, shepherds looking after their sheep, so maybe families would get together, and overnight they would put all their sheep in the one place, and they'd have them in this uh, gate pen, in this gatekeeper, and, or watchman, and they'd give charge to the watchman to look after them overnight. And then the shepherd would come in the morning and he would get his sheep. And the watchman, the gatekeeper, would only let the shepherd get his sheep out. And how does he do it? He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So what would happen is they'd call them out and they'd come. But Jesus, in this illustration, is taking it further because he's saying, not only does he call them, he knows the sheep. Like, I'm pretty sure that Colin and all his shepherding and uh, uh, Tim and whoever else put up their hand, you don't go out to your, the sheep pen and say, okay, Bob, Lucy, Tony, you guys come through here with me. You don't call your sheep by name. You don't have that personal relationship with them. But Jesus calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. There is personal leadership. You know them. We, we see it says, when he has brought them out, out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. The leader goes out before him. Yesterday, when we had our time uh, hearing about Michael doing uh, a map, we were talking about what's great about doing map and why it's worthwhile. And one of the things that Michael said and a couple of the other guys there, I wasn't a big fan of it at the time, but now I'm reflecting on it, they were right, um, that they reflected on the great thing about doing map and being an apprentice is, is that there's someone else to blame because it's the leader, your trainer, who's ultimately responsible. I, I, I was disappointed that was the first thing they came up with when we said, why do map? But it's actually kind of true. The leader goes out in front. That's what being a leader is. And Jesus, with those that he knows deeply, go out in front. This is uh, what we're seeing is the picture of uh, God's people. And Israel here, I think he's talking about um, and how he's calling them and bringing them. And in this uh, passage, he goes on to say, those that aren't um, Israel, he goes and calls them and they become part as well. The amazing thing about this imagery, and if we had time, 
we could go to many, many passages in the Old Testament which highlight this illusion that God's people were waiting for a leader who was a shepherd. And so many of their leaders were rubbish and they were rubbish shepherds. Let me just give you one example. I didn't put this up on the screen, but let me read to you Isaiah 56, verses 9 to 12. Just a little uh, passage here. Come, all you beasts of the field, come all... Come and devour all you beasts of the forest. Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They are all mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. They are dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. They seek their own gain. Come, each one cries, let me get wine, let us drink our fill of beer and tomorrow will be like today or even far better. Leaders who are rubbish, who are shepherds who have got no idea on how to shepherd is often how the leaders of God's people were described and then Jesus turns up and the shepherds of God's people were so letting down God's people. There are many illusions to point to the failings of the leaders of God's people. But Jesus knows. And I think sometimes we see it, this idea of a leader knows. I think we actually see it in the family context. See, parents are leaders of their children. And when families are working well, parents love their kids and the kids actually know it and they feel it And they experience it. It's not just words. That's what happens. That parents provide discipline because they're good leaders. Sorry, all the kids, to say that. Don't abuse that parents. Um, It's clear though, isn't it? That's when it works well. That's just a little glimpse into the families are reflecting how Jesus truly knows us when that happens well. And often when that doesn't happen well is when we have family heartache. Secondly, about what makes a good leader, I think this one is very clear. See on the screen there, their power is used for their followers. It's not hard to come up with bad examples of this, is it? (laughs) It's when the problem is You want power for your own sake instead of someone else. Human history is littered with tyrants and dictators and corruption of people who are wanting to rule and be in charge. From Pol Pot to Stalin to Mao to all sorts of vicious leaders to someone like Hitler who clearly did not just care for people he despised and hated races of people and systematically killed them. To Stalin who killed his own people for power. Pol Pot was so vicious in his destruction of Cambodia that it's still ripping that nation to shreds. The, the ramifications are still there. It gets even worse when we think of examples in the church and they're many and rife, aren't they? where church leaders seek status and power and when the desire 
to be known, to be praised by men instead of praising God, when church leaders are more about fleecing their people than building up God's people. And we have such a tragic history of power corrupting so badly that it's left people broken with abuse. The most despicable and and awful destruction of power within what's supposed to be God's church. We see it in the workplace where people want to keep their power because they want to get better and better and higher up. Where you know full well that someone has taken a job that you had every right to have but they've undercut you. We could go on in bad examples but let's turn to the good example. Look at verses 7 to 10. Because the, the Pharise- they didn't get what was going on, what Jesus was saying clearly. And so Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Uh, now this is where I think it gets a little bit different to modern day shepherding. Uh, there's a suggestion that what would happen sometimes is what, what uh, the shepherds would do, because they take them out and they're out in the wild and they can't go back, is they'd create a little pen, if you like, just to keep the sheep there overnight when they're not um, uh, uh, where you know, their home base and those kind of things. And what they do, they kind of lie down as the gate, <laughs> literally lie down as, as the gate to stop the sheep going through. Have you done that, Colin? You haven't? No, not lately, right. <laughs> so you have pre... No, um, see, like, it's kind of an interesting idea. That, that's what, what, what's being alluded to here. Jesus is saying, I am that gate. I nurture and I care for my sheep. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. What's Jesus use his power for? For the salvation of his sheep. For the salvation of his people. It's completely other person centered. It's completely about serving. The Son of Man did not come uh, to be served, but to serve, as we reminded ourselves in the Lord's Supper. The shepherd uses his power to save. See verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life. Think of all the other leaders, what they actually ultimately do. They take, they steal, they take people's lives, they take people's possessions, they take what isn't theirs for their own sake. And what Jesus is offering in verse 10 is that they may have life and have it to the full, that they have abundance of life. And this is where we've got to make sure, I think in verse 10, we understand the metaphor and we don't abuse verse 10 evangelistically. Because sometimes we can say that to follow Jesus, if you follow Jesus, you will have a really abundant life and it'll be really, really good. You'll have no more problems. You'll have heaps and heaps of 
great blessings. If you give, you'll get more back and it'll be great now and this is what you will get. And you can kind of come out of that in those verses. But if we remember that it's a metaphor of shepherding and we see what is actually happening here is that the shepherd is giving the sheep life and they have it to the full. What do the sheep have? They have protection. They have their needs met. They have a leader who cares for them. They are fed. They are looked after. That is the life that they have and have it to the full. And when we take it out of that metaphor into the real life, what we're seeing is that this promise is that you have a deep and profound and loving relationship with God, with the security that we remembered in the Lord's Supper. That there is life, it is assured, and it is with Him eternally. That is what is so wonderful about the promise. To have abundance of life is to have the shepherd and to have him to the full. So we see that good leadership is one who knows those who follow, that they use their power for the ones they know and not for themselves. And we see this sometimes with great workplace bosses. I've, had, I've actually been blessed in my ministry and I've had three bosses um, direct bosses that I've worked under and each one of them I can say have been a wonderful example of leadership and why? Because at many times they would care and look after me and have my back. That there were times when they would make sure what had happened um, uh, I was supported in, uh, that they would make sure that there would be success and sometimes they would do all the groundwork but put me up front to help me understand what was going on and people would be encouraged with what I've done but I knew all the well that they were the ones doing everything without getting any thanks. That was amazing leadership. My first year in ministry after Bible college, that is what uh, the senior pastor did for me. He asked me to run a mission in my first month of being in the church. I'm like, how do I do this? I don't even know these people. He said, I'm going to make it happen. You're in charge of it. And it was so helpful and it's so great and yet... He never ever kind of took any, any um, upfront leadership of it, but he just totally made it happen and equipped and led me so brilliant. It was some of the most brilliant examples of leadership. We see that sometimes. But ultimately, we see it in Jesus. Lastly, our last point before we finish. Ultimate leadership is sacrificial. Ultimate leadership is sacrificial. See, you can't be a good leader and not give up of yourself. You can't be a good leader and not, not uh, actually compromise or, or not compromise but give up your own time or give up your own money or invest in other people it just can't work when is non-sacrificial leadership bad well, it's whenever it's the it's the example of those who leaders who say don't do what i do do what i say well they don't articulate that but that's how they work 
when, whenever th- something bad happens and they're in charge, they would say, well, it was their fault. It's the Adam and Eve problem, right? Of, it wasn't my fault. It was him you put me here. It was the serpent's fault. Like, it's all, it was her you put me here with. It was the serpent's fault. Like, it's blaming someone else instead of realising that being a leader has a cost. Let's look at the last little bit here. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Excuse me. So the metaphor here is the good shepherd is actually willing to do anything he can for his sheep. But in the metaphor, the shepherd is not actually intending to die and lie down because what would happen to the sheep? There's no one to care for them. They'd be in big trouble. The foxes are thinking, you beauty. But Jesus is saying he's such a great shepherd that he pushes beyond the metaphor and says that actually his good shepherding means that not only he has the notion of and being willing to, he does, he will lay down his life for the sheep. Jesus didn't accidentally die on the cross. He didn't get to Jerusalem after travelling all around and go, oh, I was heading here, I thought we were just going to have a party, I'm going to die now. He intentionally, with everything that he had, went to the cross. He intentionally, willingly followed his father's instructions and he did it lovingly and willingly and sacrificially. This makes him the good shepherd. His father loves him because of it, although he always loved him. He loves him in this moment of great sacrifice. It just highlights this relationship the father and son have. Jesus is no martyr. It was no accident. He faced it with all authority and laid down his life for you. Look at verse 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. That's how much this knowing relationship is. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Once again, Jesus is taking the metaphor and pushing beyond it because he's not just got his sheep he's caring for. He's going, I'm going to go and get those sheep that aren't mine and bring them in. He wants to see those who don't even consider Jesus worth thinking about who think that Jesus is just, well, not significant to my life and wants to tell them, I want you to know me and I want to know you. Jesus died in our place, is what this metaphor is saying. Jesus, as the leader, gave up everything. We do see glimpses of this sometimes too, don't we? We see it in war. We see it in the great example of Private Bruce Steele Kingsbury. He was the only one to get the Victoria Cross at Kokoda in a place called Ishurava. If you don't know anything about Kokoda, 
the Australians were trying to stop the Japanese from getting to our, our borders in the bushland of Kokoda and they were up against it and it was a disastrous situation. And it looked very much like the Japanese were going to break through on more, lots of fronts. It was a horrendous place. Has anyone done the Kokoda Trail? It's so hard to do because it was such a horrendous place. To have the battle there amongst these forests was just so insane. And they needed to hold on for a few more days and they didn't think it was possible. And in this little place in Isurava, they were gone. And this um, private decided to take it on his own back. And he, ran, he was running down the hill and his, his, uh, his uh, leaders were asking him, what are you doing? And he just cries out, I'm just going for a stroll skip as he keeps on running down. And as he does that, he yells out, follow me and we will hold them back. And he systematically, with his 10 kilo weapon, held them back. They all followed him and they were managed to hold on for two days. It's an extraordinary story when I read it uh, in the book of Coda and I was looking it up again today in the War Memorial website of what he had done. He did that knowing he wasn't getting through. They could hold them back possibly but he had to do it for everyone else because he was going to die. And the testimony of the leaders were without him doing that, they would have broken. It's a great glimpse into sacrifice. As spectacular as that is, and just many, many other great stories of sacrifice, none of those great examples do what the ultimate sacrifice does. Jesus is the ultimate sacrificial leader because he's the only one who comes through the other side. Look at verse 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it back up again. Jesus conquers death. The good shepherd dies for us Willingly, is verse 18, no one takes it from me. I lay it down, what we just saw. I did it of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again, given to him by his Father. Jesus takes our place and conquers death. His sheep follow him through death to live with him forever. Sacrificial leadership is all about those who follow you. You know, in that passage I read on Isaiah, we talked about how rubbish the leaders were. That was after Isaiah, in, in Isaiah 53, that many of us know, thanks to Colin Buchanan. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. <laughs> I didn't mean you to do that, I'm sure. We, we all have gone our own way. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And the shepherd becomes the slaughtered lamb. In John's Gospel that we're looking at in chapter 10, when 
you know, when Jesus turns up, what does John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The shepherd is the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And the great picture of heaven into all eternity in Revelation 4 and 5, who is on the throne? The Lion who is the Lamb. How extraordinary. Sacrificial leadership, so much so that he lowers himself into our place as a lamb. And into all eternity, our risen king is seen as a lamb that was slain. It's a glorious picture. So how do we wrap this up then? Well, let's get back to the question that we had in the beginning. How does fixing leaders fix the world and i think the answer is quite simply it doesn't because no one can match to get anywhere near that type of leadership but the perfect leader can i hope you've seen today that the world will be fixed through leadership through the leadership of God himself, who comes down and rescues his people. And so the question for you right now is which leader will you follow? Will you follow yourself or others? Will you follow your ways and think that you've got all the answers? I love doing ministry as a team because it constantly reminds me that I so often don't have the answers because most of the team have always got better ideas. And that's great. It's a helpful, humbling thing. Or maybe you're not so proud in yourself that you think that you've got the answers, but there are other ways that you'll follow others. Or you can see today that perfect leader who isn't some politician that you don't care about, who's some leader now. It is the God of the universe who's speaking right to you now and saying, I am the one that you can follow with everything you have. He is approachable. He doesn't come and promise us great things. He doesn't die for us. He doesn't say that I know you and then we need to not have any access to him. He's given us access to him. It also challenges us to to see that we we follow leaders who follow him. God has set up the way that we work together, not in isolation. Any good leader worth any salt should say to you, follow me and not in there. The only time they should say that is that, follow me as I seek to follow Christ. And when I don't follow Christ, show me so I can again. That's what real leadership does. A pastor is just a shepherd. That's where the word pastor comes from. And it is to love and nurture and to show the flock salvation. Should we be cynical? Should we expect leaders to fail? Should we expect it all to go up in smoke? All on one level, yes. But we should expect better of leaders. 
But regardless, we know that there is a leader who you can follow. Will you follow him? Amen.